Hi, this is Eric Ludi for the Daily Thunder Podcast. If you are enjoying these messages and want to take these truths even deeper, I invite you to join us in Windsor, Colorado at Ellerslie for one of our upcoming five-week or week-long discipleship training programs. Ellerslie's discipleship training has been designed to ignite your spiritual fire and to give you the tools for a Christianity that really works. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So this message is absolutely such a critical piece of victorious victorious Christian living. And I would say that for Eric and I, we really probably would not still be in ministry if we had not grasped these truths that I'm going to share with you today. We started out in ministry. Do I need to do anything different? Is that sounding okay? It's a little bit echoey. Okay, as long as it sounds okay out there. We started out in ministry right after we were married, and I would say that we had really no clue what we were stepping into, the battlefield that we were stepping into. And we, I had these ideas of stepping into full-time Christian ministry that it would just be this warm, fuzzy, wonderful experience. And we would get to travel from church to church and connect with all of these amazing Christians from around the world and meet other ministry leaders and just share truth and encourage the body of Christ. And it was really like stepping into this incredible battle territory, like going to the forefront of a battle but having no weapons to fight with, having no tools to fight that battle, not even recognizing that we're in a battle. We got hit so hard with spiritual attack, didn't even know we were being attacked spiritually because we kind of didn't grow up with that understanding of spiritual warfare. It's a totally foreign concept, not a totally foreign concept, but definitely not something we focused on very much. And so for the first couple years of being in full-time ministry, we went from having this beautiful fairy tale love story right off into the sunset when God writes your love story. And it was like this magical hue to our life to suddenly feeling like we had somehow, without realizing it, taken a baseball bat and hit a hornet's nest. And hornets are now flying at us and attacking us. And now we realize our feet are stuck in cement and we can't move anywhere. So we just have to sit there and take the attacks of the enemy over and over and over again. It was just the most incredible onslaught of problems that hit us. And I remember just being so blindsided by everything we were going through. I never really struggled with anxiety or depression until we got into full-time Christian ministry, if you can believe that. It was getting into ministry work for the kingdom of God that triggered these things like anxiety and depression in my life. And some of our key attack points, we were attacked in the area of health, especially me. So we were traveling and speaking. We had written a little book about our love story. And so people were asking us to travel and share and come to different churches and share our love story and share what God had taught us. And the whole story of how we agreed to do that is is a story in and of itself, which maybe I can share with you all if you're a student here this week when you come over to our house later this week. But sometimes we tell kind of our ministry story. I didn't really want to be traveling and speaking on relationships, but reluctantly we had agreed to do it because God was opening up all these amazing doors. But health was a huge attack point, so I was always sick. I was never sick until we needed to step up and speak in front of people. And then suddenly I just would get a horrible cold or a sinus infection or bronchial infection, would hardly be able to speak at all. 
finances. We had some really bizarre things happen in the area of finances. Like, for example, we had a guy that came to work alongside our ministry the first couple years we were in ministry. And he, his job was to kind of alleviate stress from us. And so he was in charge of setting up all of our speaking events and working out all of the logistical details. And we were going to show up and just do the speaking. And he turned out to be a fraud, a scam. He kind of had infiltrated our ministry as a crook and drained all the bank accounts, drained all the resources out of the ministry behind our back. And we were left with nothing. So this is just one example. So that was a year we had to basically sell whatever we had, lay off anybody who was working for us, move in with my parents and lived in their basement for a year just to kind of get back on our feet. This is the first couple years that we were in full-time ministry. And it was funny, not really funny, more like ironic because, yeah, I wouldn't really call it funny, but it was ironic because we were we were at rock bottom, you know, had no money, had lost everything, had just been taken advantage of by this guy. My health was bad. We were we were in the midst of all sorts of attack, false accusation and criticism. Nobody ever criticized us till we got into ministry, and now everybody criticized us all the time. And lots of crazy things we were being accused of, so just a lot of really hard things. And right at that point, our first book, When God Writes Your Love Story, became a bestseller. Now, it didn't help us financially because that's not how things work in the publishing world, but it was, I guess, encouraging at a certain level. It was like, wow, our book is a bestseller, and it was on the the top is in the top three national bestsellers of that time frame. And one of our friends who'd known us for years heard about the fact that our book was a bestseller, didn't really know that much about what else was going on in our life, but he sat down with Eric and said, you know, I'm just super concerned about you guys, that you're going to become really prideful now that you have a bestseller. And we're like, buddy, we're living in my parents' basement, and we've lost all of our money. Like, we're at rock bottom. We're not, pride is not what we're struggling with right now, believe me. We were totally humiliated and in misery, and we just had one roadblock after the next in our life. And I remember being so disillusioned with what was going on in the modern church, disillusioned with the compromise I was seeing, just totally devastated by the criticism that Eric and I were receiving, especially me. A lot of times when we would be at a speaking event, after Eric would leave and go off to do something, somebody would come out of the shadows and just start bashing me. And so a lot of times the attacks were coming against me. And they were weird, they were weird, crazy things, just people wanting to take out weird frustrations on me because I was up in front of people just a lot of weird hindrances. And of course, seeing compromise and seeing discord in the body of Christ was very disillusioning. And I remember sitting in this pastor's house once in the guest room. It was We were trying to be really quiet because the walls were really thin, but we were talking. And we're just seeing such hypocrisy in this man's life, seeing such hypocrisy everywhere we went, and just trying to struggle through just the cloud, the spiritual blur that we were in all the time. And I told Eric, if I didn't know that there was more to Christianity than what I'm seeing all around me in the church, in other believers' lives, in these leaders, I would just walk away from it right now. I know I have my own relationship with Christ, and I know it's real, but everything I'm seeing is just telling me to walk away. And it was very disheartening. There were definitely times when we were really, really tempted to give up and just walk away from ministry completely because we didn't recognize that we were under spiritual attack. We didn't recognize that we had stepped into the enemy's territory and he was resisting what we were trying to do. We just thought our life was falling apart. That was kind of what it felt like. And there was a very key moment 
when I was laying in, it was probably midnight, I was laying in bed, had a bronchitis or some really bad lung infection, again, you know, for the umpteenth time, right as we were going into a speaking event. And if you ask people when we used to travel and speak in this time about us coming to their church or their school or whatever, they would, they'll usually say, well, Leslie was really sick, but, you know, what Eric said was good. You know, that's usually what you'll hear from that whole, like, year period of time because I was just always sick. And I was sick again, and we were still just really at rock bottom in so many areas of our life. And I told Eric, will you please pray for me and rise up and really pray for me that this will be gone? And we had always approached prayer and handling these kind of things as just this kind of accepting, you know, rejoice in all things, because that's a scriptural principle. Okay, we're just going to have a good attitude through this, and Lord, we just thank you for this trial, and just help us to get through it with a good attitude. That was the general way that we prayed. Now I was asking Eric if he would pray with authority and and see this removed. And that was a new concept for us. It wasn't something we had ever really done before. But suddenly it was like, he awakened and he realized that he had a position of spiritual authority over our home, over our marriage and our ministry, and he could rise up and push back against what the enemy was trying to do. So he started to march around the room and truly resist the enemy for the first time in our marriage, in our ministry. And he said to the enemy the word, no. It was like this amazing discovery of the word no no you cannot continue to harass my wife's health no you cannot continue to put constant roadblocks and barriers in front of us so that we cannot move forward in what we're called to do we resist you in the name of Jesus it was completely a new concept to us but it was a total game changer it wasn't like I just rose up out of bed and I was completely well but we knew that we had stumbled upon a really important spiritual truth that was missing in our spiritual tool belt going into spiritual battle without the warfare in place without the spiritual tools that God has given us. It's kind of like going into a battle without any battle weapons. They're just laying there on the ground. Of course, you're going to be pummeled by the enemy. And God began to teach us the concept of becoming spiritually offensive rather than defensive. We were always kind of like this. The enemy would throw things at us, and we were kind of just shielding our face and not really pushing back in any way. Because it is a spiritual truth that we are to rejoice in all things, that we are to not think it's strange when we go through trials. But there's also a spiritual principle that this needs to be, that it needs to be blended with, which is in James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's not just a matter of praying that God would give us a good attitude through these things. If we know that the enemy is coming against us, we have the command in scripture to resist, to push to push back, not in our own authority, but in the power of the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus. And not that he might flee from us, he will flee from us. What an amazing promise. And we began to stand upon that. We began to look at the areas of our life that we thought, this is an attack from the enemy. It's just sort of awakened to the fact. Not every trial that comes into our life is a direct attack from the enemy. But what we were walking through in that season, we began to identify very key attack points that the enemy was was putting in our way, was hitting us with, because we were trying to move forward in ministry and he was putting a barrier there. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the face. There's that word resist again. 
And then, of course, in Ephesians 6.16, the shield of faith by which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So we have a responsibility, a mandate in Scripture to rise up against the attacks of the enemy against us through the power of the name of Jesus. And some people have grown up in charismatic circles, and this is like a normal thing. We're always, you know, rebuking and resisting Satan. And some people grew up in very very conservative circles where you never even talk about this. Eric and I were probably somewhere in the middle. I would say, though, that even people who have grown up with the understanding of resisting the enemy often don't understand how to do it truly biblically. And sometimes it's just kind of a notion you grow up with, but you don't really understand what spiritual warfare is and how to do it in a truly biblical and not a self-focused way. So we're going to talk about that. We began to build what we like to call a wall of fortification around our spiritual life. And one thing I'll tell all of you, whether you are in ministry or not, if you are becoming serious or if you are a serious Christian or becoming a serious Christian, if you are going forward with Jesus in any way, the enemy is going to bring that resistance against you. He does not want you to progress. If you are just living a mediocre Christian life and just focusing on yourself and kind of going to church once a week, a lot of times the enemy will leave you alone because he doesn't want you to awaken to the fact that God has more for you. The moment that you awaken to the fact that God has more for you, you're going to get attention from the enemy. The good news is that God has not left us helpless against the attacks of the enemy, and his power is so much greater. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So in Nehemiah, it talks about this process that Nehemiah went through to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. The wall was broken down. Its gates were burned with fire. And those that were left in the province were in great distress and reproach. And a lot of times this is how we live our Christian lives. We do not have a solid wall of protection around our spiritual lives, so we live constantly on the defensive. Our wall is broken down. The enemy can get to us anytime he wants, and we're constantly fending off and warding off his attacks, but we're not really progressing or advancing in the kingdom of God or what God has called us to do because we're so distracted with what the enemy is throwing at us all the time. This is certainly what was going on for Eric and I in our first few years for ministry. We began to study the book of Nehemiah, and it became sort of like a roadmap for us for building that wall of spiritual fortification. What you'll see if you study the book of Nehemiah is that as he started to rebuild that wall, these enemies just came out of the woodwork, and they started saying, hey, you know, you'll ne- even a fox can knock down this wall. This isn't doing any good, or hey, you're just doing this for your own self-glory. The king is offended with you, and he's going to come attack you. Or hey, you need, you need to go hide and flee into the temple because all this danger is coming against you. Anything that they could do to get him to stop that building, that fortification process, they would do. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do when we start progressing in our spiritual life, when we start stepping forward boldly into what God has called us to. But we are meant to be offensive and not defensive in the kingdom of God. We are not meant to be constantly pushed around by the enemy. So we need to understand the authority that we have in Christ. Now going through the Ellerslie material, you will hear a lot about being in Christ. And when we are in Christ, we are clothed in him. Whatever cannot get to him should not be able to get to us either. We can walk in the authority of Jesus Christ. It says in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means, any means hurt you. All the power of the enemy we have authority over through the name of Jesus. And in Hebrews 2, 8, You have put all things in subjection under his feet, under Jesus' feet, 
For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. So if it is under his feet, it is under our feet when we are in Christ and we take that position in Christ. So the key question is, are we walking in this authority? Are we spiritually offensive or spiritually defensive? And maybe even in the past you've been spiritually offensive, but you're in a new season now and the enemy's hitting with you with all new things and now you're spiritually defensive. That's when it's time to rise up and go through that process of spiritual fortification. So this is the process that God walked us through in that season when we began to realize we were just sitting ducks for the enemy and God wanted to make us strong. One thing that we want that I want to clarify is the purpose of being spiritually fortified is not just for our own comforts and happiness. A lot of times if if you see kind of an abuse or a twisted concept of resisting the enemy, it's kind of the abusing of this concept in modern Christianity, it'll be all about self. Sort of like, I deserve a comfortable life, I deserve to have everything go well for me, and anything bad in my life, I just resist it and rebuke it so that I can have a good life. That's actually not the purpose of fortification. God has called us to live a poured out life for him. And this Christian life is not meant to be easy. It is a narrow, rocky, difficult way. It is taking up our cross daily and following after him. But he wants to make us strong so that we can be poured out for his glory. So made strong in him to be poured out for his glory, not to be pummeled and harassed by the enemy. The trials and the difficulties that we go through are for his glory and not for the enemy's glory. So we need to know that we're not called to a life of ease. We are called to the forefront of a spiritual battle. It's really critical for me to always remember in this journey that peace is not found in the absence of difficulty, but in the presence of God. So don't expect an easy life. If you are going forward with Jesus, if you are walking in obedience to him, it's not going to be easy. I once heard a a really uh, serious workout instructor say, don't expect easy. You won't get results if you expect easy. I think any workout trainer, any physical trainer would say that kind of thing. And it's the same in our Christian life. If you expect easy, you're not going to see life-changing results in the world around you or in your own life. So it's this concept of becoming a spiritual athlete, of understanding that we are called to rise up and run this race and not just expect an easy life. So this is not about avoiding all difficulty or discomfort. God wants to make us spiritually strong so we can live loving and sacrificial lives for his glory. He desires to free us from being constantly preoccupied with our own issues and struggles so we can turn outward and build his kingdom. He wants to make us strong so we can pour out for his glory. So when you understand your authority over the enemy, that doesn't mean you're not going to suffer for the sake of Jesus, that you're not going to have a difficult way that you're called to walk. It just means you'll be free from the enemy constantly harassing you and holding you down from moving forward with where God has called you to go. A lot of times we don't realize that we're in a a spiritual battle in this Christian life and we don't use the spiritual weapons that God has given us to fight this battle. A lot of times if you go to a modern church, you will, everything's just kind of easy and comfortable and fun and pleasant and we don't recognize that if we're going to get serious about our faith, we're going to be in a spiritual battle. Let's take a deeper look at what enemy hindrance looks like. 
in our lives, because a lot of times it can be confusing. Well, how do I know if a trial that I'm walking through is from God, being allowed by God to refine me and make me like pure gold, or how do I know if it's harassment from the enemy? Let's take a closer look at enemy hindrance. During Paul's ministry, the Apostle Paul, he talked about being hindered by Satan from a specific purpose that he was attempting to accomplish. That's in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. And that word hindered means to impede or detain or to cut into. It's like this barrier, this roadblock, this obstacle that the enemy sets before us so that we're not able to go forward with what God has called us to do. So a lot of times what we've noticed in our own lives and when we're attempting to take a step of obedience, there'll be odd hindrances, things that are just roadblocks and barriers that shouldn't be there. False accusation has been a big one. Disunity within the body, disunity in key relationships, confusion where there's just a fog and it's really hard to see anything clearly, misunderstanding, miscommunication, discouragement. Some of those things have been choice ways that the enemy has hindered us. And I would say discouragement for me, just to give you an example is one of the choice weapons that the enemy hits me with even still so a lot of times after speaking after speaking truth after pouring out after seeking to encourage someone I will be hit so hard with discouragement like that was terrible that didn't make any sense they didn't understand you that didn't get through to them you shouldn't have even said anything or you should never do this again and I've done a conference for women every year for the past 11 years here at this campus, the Set Apart Conference, and I probably about year five or six, I began to recognize every single time that conference ends, it's this powerful weekend. The messages are so powerful. They're life-changing. It's such a neat time of women from all over the world coming together to focus on Jesus, and yet every single time, I would be hit with such amazing discouragement when it was over. I'd be like, I'm never doing that again. That was my last one. I'm never doing it again, and that was after about five or six years, I began to recognize, okay, I think this every single year. These thoughts go into my head every single year I know they're not coming from God because that's not the voice of God oh that was terrible you did so horrible that you should never do that again especially after this really powerful weekend where God was obviously present and so finally I began to recognize that in five or six years into doing this conference I decided I'm not going to listen to that voice of discouragement the feelings the emotions the thoughts might be there but I'm going to push them away because I began to recognize it as enemy hindrance the enemy didn't want me to ever do it again but that wasn't the voice of God So learning to understand when the enemy comes after you, recognizing it as as attack. A lot of times the enemy most hinders us when we are stepping into ministry. Even if you don't feel like the ministry you're stepping into is that significant. Oh, I'm just mentoring someone. I'm just teaching a Sunday school class. I'm just doing secretarial work for a church. You know, it might not feel big to you, but if it is at all investing into the kingdom of heaven, the enemy will give you attention for that. Or taking steps of obedience. Maybe some of you even experienced in coming here to Ellerslie a step of obedience and then all of a sudden there's like this hindrance in your life or this attack or this noise, distractions, etc. Or if you're cultivating a deeper walk with Christ, prayer and Bible study and really making it a priority to not just fit Jesus into your life, but build your life around him. A lot of times suddenly you just don't, you, you can't get to prayer. There's an alarm, a phone call, a, an emergency, a crisis, a health issue that's hindering you from spending that time in prayer. Again, that can be enemy, often is enemy hindrance. How do we know what to submit to and what to resist? Because there are trials and difficulties that come our way simply because we're walking the narrow way of the cross. 
One of the things that was very helpful for Eric and I is to study the difference between the nature of God and the nature of Satan in the Bible. And this is something I don't have time to go into at a very, in a very deep way this morning, but I'll give you a few starting points for your own study. God is light, the enemy is darkness. So looking at what's coming into your life, is it promoting light or darkness? You can go through a very challenging trial. If you read the stories of missionaries who suffered in concentration camps or in prison cells or in other ways for the glory of God, they, they would describe even their prison cell as this, ooh, sorry, the sanctuary of light because the presence of God was there. And so just because it's a trial doesn't mean you have to be in darkness. But a lot of times when the enemy brings something into your life, there's just this oppression associated with it. And that's one of the ways you can know. Life versus death, father of lights versus father of lies. So listening to the thoughts that are coming at you, like, for example, the discouragement voice. I began to realize that's a lie from the enemy. That was so terrible. You should never do this again. This this ministry has no value. Those were lies coming against me from the enemy, not not messages from, from God. Discipline versus abuse. God disciplines and corrects us. The enemy abuses us and condemns us and constantly tries to bring hopelessness. It's kind of like the difference between condemnation and conviction. When when God's spirit convicts us, it's so filled with hope. It's that desire for a deeper intimacy with Jesus Christ. I love you too much to leave you in this place. But condemnation, which comes from the enemy, there's no hope associated with it. You're hopeless. You're a mess. You're never going to change. God doesn't love you. There's no way you can ever be reconciled to him. That's the voice of condemnation. So learning to recognize those two voices. A bridegroom versus a harsh husband, a shepherd versus a roaring lion that's breathing out threats. So studying the difference between the nature of God and the nature of the enemy. And the more you know God and walk with him and spend time in his presence and immerse yourself in his word, the more you begin to recognize the difference between his, his work in your life and the enemy's hindrance in your life. And keep this in mind. Just like physical training, if you're training for a sporting event, a marathon, etc., God's discipline will bring pain into our life, but it's a healthy, productive pain. It leads to greater strength. It has purpose. It has hope. Maybe it's a test of faith, something you're wrestling in prayer for, and it just hasn't come to pass yet. It, but it cultivates that deeper level of trust and hope and faith. An attack of the enemy breeds doubt, disillusionment, hopelessness, and defeat. One of the things that Eric and I noticed in our conferences, we used to do, I used to do these retreats for young women, and there were probably about 20 girls would come here to Colorado at a time. It was before we had this campus, and we would go up to the mountains and just have a really beautiful time of going deeper with Christ and fellowship, but about 50% of the girls would usually be sick. And we fed them healthy. We had them drink lots of water. There was no real reason for it. But 50%, so 10 out of the 20 girls would be so sick they really couldn't participate. And this happened again and again. Finally, we began to recognize this is a hindrance from the enemy. He's, he's putting this roadblock there so that these young women cannot participate in what's happening this weekend. So we started to take a stand and resist that attack of the enemy. And so then right around that time, we started to do bigger conferences, and we would have two or 300 girls come at a time. So we went from having 20 girls with 10 of them sick to having 300 girls with nobody sick, just taking that stand against that specific hindrance because we finally recognized it for what it was. So I want to walk you through quickly a biblical strategy for spiritual attack in your life. And these are the things that God walked us through we have to have a strategy in place for resisting the enemy's attacks. And that is why Eric and I were so hindered when we first stepped into ministry, because we did not have a strategy. We didn't even know we were under spiritual attack. 
there was a festival that we were invited to speak at early in our ministry, a huge Christian fest- festival. And then and we spoke there, and it was, it was a neat event. And then about 10 years later, the host of the festival called and, and asked if we could come back. But he didn't realize we had been there 10 years before because this is a kind of festival they have t- so many different speakers and musicians that they, he just wouldn't remember. And so when he started to put two and two together, and I told him, no, we've actually spoken at this event before 10 years ago, he said, I can't believe this. I've been doing this festival for 30 or 40 years, and never have I seen anyone who's still in ministry 10 years later, still speaking, still proclaiming truth. Most people I have, after five years or or less, they're, they've already left the ministry, sometimes have even left the faith. And I really believe this is why. This is a huge reason why. They don't understand what they're stepping into, the battle they're stepping into, and they're not equipped for it. And if God had not given us these spiritual tools, we probably would have a similar story, maybe not renouncing our faith, but probably not still be in ministry. So it's very critical that we have a strategy for spiritual attack. So here, and I'm going to go through the very short version of this, but here are the steps that God walked us through. First, identify the attack points in your life and the key scriptures that God wants to give you to resist the enemy. And Eric and I called this our sacred list. I'm not really sure why we called it that, but that was what we named it. And it was a list of every area of our life that we wanted to see victory in, an area that we felt like we'd been hindered by the enemy, And we knew that God had something better for that area of our life. And we wanted to see victory in that area. So we made this list and and then we began to really look for scriptures that would that we could stand on for every single one of these points in our life that we had written down. And that's really what what Jesus did. When Satan would hit him in specific ways when he was being tempted in the wilderness, he always responded with, it is written. He always hit back with truth. And so we asked God to show us the specific scriptures that we could stand on whenever the enemy would hit us in those specific areas. So we had our list of of areas we wanted to see victory in and then key scriptures that would go along with every single one of those areas. So for every area of attack, I would encourage you to find a specific scripture or a truth to respond with just like Jesus did. And whenever you feel like that's an area that the enemy's poking at, begin to stand strongly upon those scriptures. Begin to proclaim and declare God's truth over that area of your life. The, after we made the sacred list, which, which is what we called it, those attack points and the scriptures, we began to look a little closer at our life and say, how do we remove enemy access? And we called this closing up breaches in our wall. So with Nehemiah, as he was rebuilding the wall, there were these points of access that the enemy could still slip in. And a lot of times in our spiritual life, we have a measure of fortification, a measure of protection spiritually. But if we have unconfessed sin or habitual sin in our life or things that we're doing that are giving the enemy access, then we can pray all we want, but the enemy's just going to keep coming back over and over and over again. And Corey Ten Boom in her book, Triumph for the Lord, calls this closing the circle. So she gave a couple of different illustrations, one of a young man that was being prayed for, but he kept returning to the same sinful patterns in his life. And so the prayers that they were praying over him really were not doing any good until he renounced that sin. And another time when a woman had horrible nightmares and Corey asked her if she had any unconfessed sin in her life and she admitted that she had this really terrible hatred towards her mother, unforgiveness. And it was when she brought that to the surface confessed it and closed that part, that breach up in her wall that the enemy no longer could harass her with those nightmares. So what causes spiritual breaches in our spiritual wall? 
unconfessed habitual sin. So this isn't like you know, we all walk through thing, we all walk through a day where we make a fleshly decision or a choice. We make that right. We repent of it. That's not what I'm talking about here. But habitual sin that we know is there that we're we're very aware of and we're not renouncing it. We're just kind of letting it stay. That is a breach for the enemy to get in. Deliberate disobedience to God. So like Jonah knew where he was supposed to go, went in the opposite direction, and he was now vulnerable to having to be thrown overboard and ended up in the belly of a whale because deliberate disobedience to God, harboring bitterness against another person, dabbling in satanic activities. So things like that seem so harmless in our culture. We see death and celebration of death all around us, skulls and skeleton and skeletons on you know clothing and uh, decor in our homes and things like that and all sorts of movies that are touted as fun entertainment but are really just cloaking satanic things like uh, a few years ago it was the vampire movies the vampire books and that was seen as like this fun form of entertainment but if we're participating in that we are leaving access for the enemy in our lives so I can't go into that in a lot of detail but God can show you and I would encourage you to just take that before God do I have any of these things in my life that the enemy is getting in. We can't effectively resist his attacks on our life unless we have removed any access that we have given Satan within our soul. And a lot of times it's what we feed into our minds. We see in Philippians 4, 8, the checklist of what we're supposed to be meditating on, the things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and of good report and virtuous and praiseworthy. These are the things we are to be listening to and meditating on and watching and taking in. And a lot of times we just kind of set that list aside and we say, well, you know, but under the banner of entertainment, it's okay for me to kind of deviate from that list and meditate on things that are the opposite of that. One of the things that God began to really put his finger on for Eric and I was the area of, of cultural entertainment. We had grown up kind of set apart in that area. We didn't allow a lot of that into our life. And even in the early days of as we were getting to know each other and early in our marriage, we were very guarded about what we would watch and how much cultural entertainment we would allow in. But then as we became more and more under the harassment of the enemy and more and more burned out spiritually by traveling and speaking and just being drained all the time, we really didn't understand how to become a spiritual athlete. We didn't understand what it meant to be in Christ, to lean in his strength and not our own. So we were just becoming exhausted and we started to turn to the distractions of the world to sort of solve that exhaustion. And so it got to the point where we were just like vegging in front of movies all the time and our standards started to lower and lower for what kind of movies and entertainment we were allowing in because you can only watch, you know, Herbie and stuff so many times, Dumbo or whatever, you can only watch that so many times and pretty soon you know you need more. And so our standard was, was pretty low. And compared to other non-believers in our life, and either, even other Christians, our standard was still decently high. But I remember sitting in a, a movie theater one week, and, and really it was just, okay, it's a Friday night, we're tired, we're exhausted, whatever's playing at the local theater that's even halfway decent, we're going to go watch it. And I remember one weekend we went away to a cabin or a, a condo or something just for a getaway and the only thing we did was watch movies we must have watched like 25 movies over that two days because we were so just wanting to go brain dead and it was just an unhealthy addiction in our life and it was allowing things in that we shouldn't be meditating on but I remember sitting in this movie theater and we were there to watch a romantic comedy that was probably rated PG so we, in my mind it was fine and then the previews came on the trailers came on first trailer was this crude, perverse bathroom humor 
kind of trailer, and even though it was only like a minute long, I was still being exposed to things, meditating on things that were not according to that checklist in Philippians. And I remember thinking, okay, this is not very godly, but hey, I didn't ask to, I didn't ask to see that. They showed it to me, and I came to see this other movie over here. I immediately justified it, and then the next one that they showed was like this horror movie, you know, serial killer type of movie trailer, and so it was just demonic darkness and death and the celebration of that and I thought, okay, this isn't very glorifying to God either. But hey, I didn't add, okay, next time I come to a movie, I'm just not going to, I'll skip the trailers. I'll come late because this is just, it's, I'm a victim. They showed me this and I didn't ask to see it. You know, that was my thought process. But then the movie came on and it was, it was, there was nothing overtly bad in this movie, but everything about it was the opposite of everything that Eric and I stood for. It's not the way the kingdom pattern works, and it wasn't honoring God's pattern for male-female relationships. It was this romantic comedy built on a fleshly way of building a romance, not God's way. And I began to recognize this has become a breach, an access point in our life. And for you, it may not be worldly entertainment. For us, that was something that God really pinpointed. And we began to say, okay, God, this is an access point for the enemy. We know that he's probably gaining access because we're not being guarded in this area of our life. First of all, we're turning to this instead of going to the feet of Jesus for our refreshment and refueling. And second of all, we are allowing things in to meditate on that are not glorifying to God. And so we repented of that, and we decided it wasn't that we were never going to watch a movie again. We were just going to have a much higher guard up in this area of our life, and we were going to learn to turn to the right thing when we were exhausted rather than just the distractions of the culture. And so I remember we decided on Friday night or Saturday night, whenever we had that free night, we were going to spend time in prayer instead of rushing off to see the latest movie. And that did not sound fun to me. That was just a step of obedience that God was asking us to take. It actually did not sound fun at all. It sounded like I just agreed to exchange, you know, a Hawaiian vacation for a week or two in prison labor camp. I just thought, because I didn't have a vision for prayer and how amazing prayer was, because our prayer life was still kind of thin at that time. But God was showing us that principle of Psalm 1611 in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I began to recognize, wow, have I ever really discovered that in his presence is the fullness of joy? Or do I feel like I have to have these distractions of the culture to get the fullness of joy? So we started to pray on those nights off instead of just always veg in front of movies. And it was amazing. The first few times it was kind of like, just going through the motions felt a little tedious, but as we just took that step of obedience, that time at the feet of Jesus just became life to my soul, and it refueled me and refreshed me and revived me at such a different level than a two-hour distraction in front of a movie ever could. It was completely life-changing, and it also sealed up that access point of the enemy. We no longer had just that ability for the enemy to get in through just an unguarded approach to that area of our life. So, Whatever access points you might have, ask God to show you, is there anything in my life that's hindering me from being truly fortified? Are there people you need to forgive in your life? It might not just be the area of worldly entertainment. For us, that was something God pinpointed. But for you, it could be unforgiveness or a specific step of obedience that God's been asking you to take that you've been avoiding or resisting. Sometimes it's a relationship in your life that's unhealthy that God's saying, let that go, and you're unwilling to let that go. Or do you have things in your past that you need to confess or make right? Or are you casually participating in the darkness of our culture 
treating those things lightly, or maybe it is something like way too much time on social media or allowing things in through the banner of the internet or entertainment that shouldn't be there. If God shows you any of these breaches, these access points, allow him to lead you through that process of bringing it to the surface, confessing, repenting, turning, and walking the other way, which is what repentance is. And if you have given enemy access in that area of your life, take it back in the authority of the name of Jesus. Once it's repented and under the blood of Jesus, just take back that territory in Jesus' name. He can no longer have access into that area of your life once you walk through that process. And it doesn't have to be a complicated process. It's simply just letting God lead you through that. Thirdly, know your position, which is in Christ. And that's so much of what you'll be learning through this time at Ellerslie. But it's taking time to understand your position of authority in Christ. Read what the Bible has to say about our right to bind Satan's work and resist the powers of darkness. And when the enemy seems to be bragging about his control or his power, remind him that greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. The enemy is meant to be running from us, not us running from the enemy. Here's just a few quotes from some of my favorite historical Christians, specifically on our authority in Christ. Amy Carmichael wrote, When Satan heard the 91st Psalm, did the fourth verse baffle him? With his feathers, he shall create a fence for thee, so covered and so fenced. What can Satan's malice accomplish against us? Nothing, nothing at all. Leonard Ravenhill said, Satan fools and feigns, blows and bluffs, and we so often take his threats to heart and forget the exceeding greatness of God's power to us. The enemy's power is very limited. God's power is unlimited. So we need to remember which side we're on. We're on the winning side. Goldburn said, The greatest Old or New Testament saints were on a level that is quite within our reach. The same spiritual power that enabled them to become our spiritual heroes is also available to us. And that's really powerful to think about. When you read about Nehemiah rebuilding that wall and you think, well, he was this great man of God in the Bible, that same spiritual power, the power of God that was with him, is the same power that we have access to in our walk with God to resist the enemy, to build that wall of fortification in our life. Another step is simply to resist. So once you have identified those attack points and removed enemy access, closed up those breaches, and you've taken your position of authority in Christ resist him. When you know he's attacking you and you sense he's hindering you, resist. And this does not have to be a big display. I think a lot of us that have seen kind of the twisting of the idea of spiritual warfare think it has to be this big, loud, dramatic ordeal. It can be done silently, in a whisper, out loud, alone with another person. It doesn't need to be overcomplicated because the power to resist the enemy does not come through our eloquence or our perfection. It comes through the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. And even a little child can resist Satan through the power of that name. So keep in mind, this is not all about you doing it perfectly. It's knowing who Christ is and being in him and standing in the authority that he has given you. When Eric and I started to resist Satan's attacks, it wasn't a big dramatic display. It was just simply the word, no, basically is all it was. But understanding what that no meant, that it was backed up with the authority of our position in Christ. Number five is to be on guard against opposition. As soon as you start to take a stand against the enemy's attack in your life, the enemy will often start to make more noise. So a lot of times you think, well, it's going in the wrong direction. I'm taking a stand. I'm saying no. I'm sealing up these breaches and these access points, and now I have more hindrance and more noise. And that is really because the enemy is trying very hard to convince you, hey, you don't want to go in this direction. Just read the book of Nehemiah, and you'll get a pretty clear picture of what the enemy's strategy is. 
you, you need to stop this right now. This is doing no good. We have power over you. A fox could knock down your wall. You need to go hide in the temple. You need to stop this work right now. That's what the enemies were saying. And finally, it came to the point where Nehemiah would not back down. And the enemies were, were just turned back. Let's read a few quotes here. Leonard Ravenhill said, Men of prayer must be men of steel, for they will be assaulted by Satan even before they attempt to assault his kingdom. We have to be ready and not pushed around by the enemy's noise. Amy Carmichael said, Our enemy is more aware than we are of the spiritual possibilities that depend upon obedience. We should never be surprised that he seeks by assault, and if that fails, by undermining our defenses to compel us to give way. It's not something to be surprised about. It's something to be ready for. Here's something from Nehemiah what the enemies did. When Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arrows, the Ammonites, the Ashdites heard that the wall of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, so it was right when that process was, was taking shape, they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So a lot of times you're thinking, I'm heading in the right direction, I'm taking these steps of obedience, I'm sealing up enemy access points, I'm resisting, and it's just like all this noise is just being stirred up and that's exactly what's going on. They wanted to attack and create confusion so that the wall would not be built. But Nehemiah made a very strong stand against them, and that takes us to our, our sixth point, which is be consistent until the breakthrough comes. Don't be discouraged if resisting and building a wall of spiritual fortification is a process. It doesn't necessarily happen in one day. Sometimes it can but sometimes there are many individual battles to fight before the overall territory is taken, before the overall war is won. Be consistent until the enemy realizes you are serious about resisting him and that you will not back down. You are taking territory for Christ, whether that's in your own life, your own soul, or in the ministry he's called you to. And this might not happen in one day. This is what Nehemiah did in response to the constant attacks of the enemy. He said, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set people according to their families with their swords and spears and bows. And I said to the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome, and fight. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. He stood his ground. He said, do not be afraid of them. Resist them, resist them, and keep doing the work God has called to do. And what happened to the enemies? They realized their plot was coming to nothing, and they turned back, and they were able to finish that wall. And that's exactly what happens to us spiritually when we stand our ground. And we do not allow the enemy's noise to pull us away from what God has called us to do. Otto Kony is one of my favorite missionaries. Some of you may know him for the Pineapple Story series. But he has a, a more recent message that I love about going to New Guinea. He was a missionary to cannibals and headhunters in New Guinea, in the interior of New Guinea, for quite a number of years. And then he came back to the States. And when he was there in New Guinea and he was taking that territory for Christ, it was such a dark place. If you ever listen to his messages, it was just controlled by demonic activity. And it was such a difficult path because he had to take that territory for Christ. And he didn't know a whole lot about spiritual warfare. So he just labored and he had hindrances and there was oppression and dark. And he had to really, really stand and labor to keep his mind focused on Christ for year after year after year. And he has a story on, on spiritual warfare, which is really powerful, called the snake story. When he finally began to resist the enemy, he started to see amazing breakthroughs. But still, it was, it was a battlefield the whole way. And then he came home 
to the States, was, was here for about 30 years, and then decided to go back and visit the churches that he had planted in, the, in, those, villa, in those jungles of New Guinea. And he brought a friend with him who had never been there, and he said, oh, we're going to have to pray for each other and encourage each other. It's going to be very dark and oppressive, because that's what it was like for him all those years. And when they went, it wasn't like that at all. There was like this lightness and joy, and, and everyone was just focused on Christ, and those churches were still going strong after 30 years. And he recognized that when he was there, he was was taking territory away from the enemy, which is why it was so dark and oppressive and difficult. But God's kingdom had been established there. So when they went back, those same strongholds were no longer there. So it's really beautiful testimony of standing your ground and taking that territory from the enemy. But it was a long process. Ask God to show you how often you need to be resisting Satan. In some cases, if you're really being harassed, it could be daily. It could be just a proactive step that you take ahead of time when you're preparing for some kind of ministry. I find that whenever I am preparing to speak or lead something or speak truth into somebody's life, just taking that step in advance to command the enemy to have no interference with what is about to happen makes a huge difference in just that ability for the audience to hear and for that hindrance to be removed. If you are faithful and consistent, you will be able to pull down enemy strongholds through the power of the name of Jesus because his power is so much greater. A few final reminders. He is victor, he is Lord, and he is for us, so who can be against us? Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That is his position of triumph, and when we are in him, that is our position of triumph too. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the authority that you have given us through the power of your name, that we have the privilege of being in Christ, that all things are under your feet, therefore these things are under our feet when we are in you. Lord, I pray that for each one we would have clarity to know if there are hindrances and attacks from the enemy that we need to be taking a stronger stand against, not so that we can have a comfortable, easy life, but so that we can be poured out for your glory, Lord, so that we can run this race and walk this narrow way without these constant roadblocks from the enemy so that we can boldly to step forward in what you have called us to do. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to build that wall of spiritual fortification in our lives, that the enemy would not receive any, any glory. You would receive all the glory through our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.